You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Hosea chapter 4. This is our third week in the book of Hosea. Now, as always, we remember when we walk into this book, there's strong language here. There's some, some terms that we don't use often, so just prepare yourselves for that. Last week, we ended chapter 2, and at the end of it, we were reminded that there are ways that God exposes our paths. He frustrates our paths that he ultimately uses for his own good. God uses all of the circumstances in our life to bring us back to him, to allure us again to his holiness, his goodness, his grace, his love and his mercy, and he betrothes himself again to us. He he sets himself on us again. And we find that message being illustrated in chapter three as we look at this relationship between Hosea and Gomer. Hosea is this virtuous young prophet who marries an adulterous wife named Gomer who rejects him. And he goes to live with other lovers. Um, In chapter three, Hosea finds Gomer in slavery. Her promiscuity has led her to make it her own profession. And Hosea actually buys her back from her old life, his own bride. He buys and brings her away from her own destruction to live with him again. And gracefully, and gracefully and wonderfully, he promises fidelity and faithfulness to her and returns for hers. The the story of Hosea and, and Gomer doesn't end in tragedy, but it ends in beautiful, glorious reunification and renewal. And so from chapter three, we transition away from the story of Gomer and Hosea. If we remember, Hosea is sort of interchangeable for God himself. He's the virtuous man. You you can read Hosea as God. And Gomer is interchangeable with God's people. And so we turn away, we move away from this personal relationship into Hosea speaking against God's people and their, their unfaithfulness. And so starting in chapter four and continuing all the way to the end of the book into the chapter 14, God's gonna specifically lay out all the ways in which his people have failed him, which his people have rejected him and walked unfaithfully, and ultimately what he's going to do about it. And so let's go ahead and jump into our text today, starting in chapter four, and we'll read all of chapter four today. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land, There is swearing and lying and murdering and stealing and committing adultery. They break all bonds and bloodshed flows bloodshed, follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish and also the beast of the fields and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let no one accuse for with you is my contention, O priest, you shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. 
I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and they are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hill under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor up to Beth-Avon. And swear not as the Lord lives, like a stubborn heifer, like Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifice. Father, we come to you today, and we ask for understanding Uh, in this message. We ask that you would clarify in our hearts what it is that you're coming after. Lord, we pray that your message would be known in our lives. We pray, Father, that you would help us through your spirit to seek contentment and and gladness in you. That, Lord, that you would convict us of all the ways that we walk away from you and that you would stir us anew by your grace, that you would allure us by your love today, Father. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So in 2017, uh, a woman named Jessica Gomez made a startling discovery in her jelly beans. Ms. Gomez filed a class action lawsuit because she was appalled to find that in her jelly beans, there was sugar, sugar in her jelly beans. Gomez argued that despite accurate labeling on the nutrition facts of the number of grams of sugar in the package, she was deceived to believe that the product was healthier than it was because the ingredient list never mentioned the word sugar. Instead, Jelly Belly used evaporated cane juice as its sweetener. And the lawsuit called the label deceptive that it tricked Ms. Gomez into believing that they, those jelly beans, were better for her than they really were. So Jelly Belly responds and called the lawsuit nonsense. And it was. And a judge saw it to be the same and quickly dismissed it. You know, our court system is full of frivolous lawsuits like this. People who are looking to make a quick buck by exploiting loopholes. Chapter 4 in Hosea comes to us as sort of a cosmic 
courtroom where God makes a legal accusation against his own people. But unlike the case of Miss Gomez, this one is not frivolous. This one is honest with merit and it's absolutely condemning. God will make an accusation against his people and he will find great evidence to support it. And if we're surmising what that accusation is and what it would be, it's this, that they have forgotten God. They have forgotten him. They no longer acknowledge him in the land. They do not acknowledge him or his law. And God says through the prophet Hosea in verse one that there is no knowledge of God in the land, that his people are being destroyed for the lack of knowledge because they've rejected knowledge in verse six. And in verse seven, he says that they have ignored the law of your God. God is accusing creation of forgetting its most essential and primary source of existence and design. Just as a flower forgetting its necessary connection to the soil and its need for nourishment from the sun begins to wither and die, God is looking down on his creation amongst the people who have rejected him and he is watching them wither and die. They are spiraling out of control and they are absolutely blind to it. And so where does this stem from? Where does this forgiveness or forgetfulness come from? Well, it seemingly comes from the very, a very crack in their foundation, the very foundational premise of all creatures created by God. It's a fear of the Lord, a reverence for God. Proverbs 9 says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Solomon, who's the author of Proverbs, says what people need more than anything in this world is to fear God and to know him. And so why is that important? Why is it important that we fear God and know him? Well, mainly because it brings me into alignment of the truest reality of life. It puts me in my place. It puts me where I belong. It requires an admission from me that says, I am not God, that that the purpose of life doesn't center around me, that I'm not the center of the universe. It contends to me that there is a God and he exists independently of me, that he doesn't need my control or opinion, he's outside of me. It tells me that the world will not collapse in my weakness or folly, nor will it bend to me when I am satisfied, but serve to reflect the goodness and design of the one who made me. People don't exist for me to find satisfying things in them. They exist for the very purposes of God. Everyone's worth is found upstream in their creator, not downstream in one another. And so fearing God puts me in my right place, but it also puts God in his. Because God lives, because he is, it means that there's a purpose to this life that goes beyond my ability to see it. It's not nearly as random or subjective to luck as I think it is. What happens to me is not by chance. With God in his place, life makes sense. That God intertwines all the parts of life in different times and spaces into a unified story. A unified story of redemption that points to Jesus. God is to, is when he's in his right place above us, means that we understand that there is right and wrong. 
and that ultimately he is the one that gets to define those things. It means that he's holy and glorious, and that makes a moral demand of me to be more like him. But it also reveals to us of a God that has ascended, that has come down to us and revealed himself to us. And in that, we know that God is love. And then he wants to know me. And then he wants to rescue me from the folly of life and the mess of the world. Right fear of the Lord changes everything in our life. It changes the dynamic of our living. It changes the dynamic of our families. It changes the dynamic of our marriage, of our jobs, of our employments, of the world in general. It puts everything in its proper and good place. To acknowledge God and to know him isn't a cruel position. It's not this limiting position that humanity puts itself in and is crushed. Yet it is the very purpose of our design and of our life. And it is good. And it has always been good. And it will always be good. Jeremiah, the prophet, says in chapter 9, he says, thus says the Lord, let the wise not boast in his wisdom. Let the, not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What are we to boast in? Not money, not might, not wisdom, but simply in that we know and understand who God is. That is the most beautiful thing to boast in. Job, at the end of the book of Job, in responding to God in chapter 42, says this, then Job answered the Lord and said this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And this is Job quoting God. God had asked him this question. Who is this that hides counsel with knowledge? Saying to Job, who do you think you are? And Job says this. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. What Job confesses here is that, God, your knowledge is too wonderful for me. David pins in Psalm 1. He says, blessed is the man who walks under the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. David says there's a blessedness to the knowledge of God for us who delight in it. And then the Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, he says this about his life. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss Because of what? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing is better, according to Paul, than knowing God. And so our scriptures reveal to us that right fear of the Lord leads to wisdom and knowledge, and it hymns us in. It moves us into our most flourishing avenues in this life. It is better than riches. It is too wonderful for us to understand. It is blessed, and it surpasses every literal thing that could be earned or gained or accomplished or boasted in in this world. To know God is to know life as it can be and should be. And Hosea reveals to us a people that have rejected that knowledge, that don't fear him. 
And they don't fear him because they're too busy loving themselves. God, or Hosea makes an accusation against the priest. He is essentially saying to the priest in that day, you, you have escalated this mess. You have created a big deal out of here. This is because of you. Priests were people who were meant to shepherd God's people. They were there to lead people into right worship, into right hope and faith. But in this time, the priests began to serve themselves instead of serving God. They figured out how the priesthood could bring benefit to the life. And so Hosea says, they fed on the sins of my people. They are greedy for their iniquities. And so what that means is that priests were responsible in that day for making specific sacrifices on behalf of God's people for a variety of different sins and over a variety of different circumstances. And all of those sacrifices and the totality of the sacrificial system was there to communicate to God's people that there is a way to live this life that is good and right, and then there's a way not to live it. And when we don't live as we ought to live, there are consequences. But in God's grace and mercy in the Old Testament, instead of his perfect justice landing on his people, he brought in a substitute. And he used the priest to intercede and bring sacrifices of varying, various kinds on behalf of his people, that justice would be served. But also to remember this, that we are a people that are prone to wonder and forget. And secondly, that, that sin is a big deal in front of God. And what has began to happen amongst the priests is they begin, began to consider how they can profit from the sins of the people. They might charge an obnoxious amount of money for somebody to buy a pure dove that was required of a certain sacrifice. They might charge an an enormous sum for a spotless lamb during uh, the season of Yom Kippur to be sacrificed for their sin. They were figuring out that they could make all of this money off of all of these people's sins. And then they were eating those sacrifices. Eating those sacrifices. They have used a method that God had designed to keep his people grounded in who he was and what he wanted them to do for their own good. And the money they earned from it bought them status and privilege and popularity. They they were no longer a people who devoted themselves in service of God, but they had made their service of God so lucrative so that the world would serve them. They are corrupt. And they are not leading God's people into his glorious truth towards reverence for him, but they're leading him, them away from it. And humanity is suffering deeply in the wake. But God doesn't put all of the blame on the priest. He puts it on the people as well. Hosea says, and it shall be like people, like priest. The priests are, of course, corrupt. But that corruption doesn't just come through their action, but from the people that they serve and live with. It can be said, as the people go, so do the priests. The priests have taken their cues from the people. They are not asking the right questions. They're not asking in front of the Lord, Lord, is this right by you? But instead, they have asked of the people, what do you want? They are letting their practices be informed by the wants of the people, not by the will of God. 
And it is doubly corrupting in that. It is doubly corrupting in that because people look to their leaders for guidance. But what they are finding in their leaders, in their priests, is vindication and acceptance, not caution and forbearance, which leads them into greater indulgence and sins. And what does Scripture say about these people? It says that they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom and wine and new wine, which takes away the understanding. The accusation here is that God's people They don't want to leave God. They just want to add things into their worship. They still want God as their husband. They just want an open relationship that they can have many lovers. Food, sex, wine, idols. They wanted all they could possibly get and all that they possibly could have. And in the same breath, they believed and wanted God to be on their side as well. But all it did was prove to take their understanding away to take their knowledge of God away because they loved themselves more than they ever loved God. They wanted a life of ease, a life of comfort and happiness. They wanted a life in the shade of trees, as Hosea said, on mountaintops. They wanted it all. And in their promiscuity, in their lack of devotion to God, They had brought more harm and devastation to the world than they ever could realize. Instant gratification always has long-lasting consequences. And so what are the consequences for this infidelity, for this idolatry? Hosea says that the world is absent of faithfulness, of steadfast love. When humanity has no regard for God, no fear of the Lord, there is nothing to be faithful to. There is nothing to be steadfast for. Only for the cause of self and happiness and ease. And we're only as faithful to that as long as there is personal benefit for us. It says that the world is full of lying and swearing and stealing and murder and adultery. All of things that would be breaking the Ten Commandments. And so Hosea gives us a picture of a world that is spiraling and out of control. Men and women are in it for themselves. They are warring against each other. There is great bloodshed after great bloodshed from their desire for power and wealth and status. And because of it, the whole world is suffering. Hosea says that creation is mourning, that all who dwell in the land are languishing, The world is so much in chaos that even the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea feel its effects. There isn't a square inch of the world that doesn't feel the repercussions of man's unfaithfulness and lack of knowledge of God. Now, does it strike you that the scene in Hosea 4 is not dissimilar to the scene in our present day world. A world in anguish, where its people dwell in languish. It's a picture of what we see when we turn on the news or look at our social media feed. People languishing, a creation that's mourning, so thorough in our corruption that even the animals of the land and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea have tasted its effects. One of the questions that we often ask in our life at some point 
about the scriptures. How can we relate to a scripture that was written so long ago by people who live very differently than we live today? Don't we in some ways have to account for culture and progress and technology? But yet what is surprising to learn is that even in the great numbers of years between us and our ancestors in the kingdom of Israel during the time of Isaiah, it's surprising to learn that we aren't really that different, that our condition has virtually remained untouched since that time. It isn't hard in the least bit, is it, if we're honest, to read ourselves into this text. Over 2,700 years later, we are still a people who struggle to acknowledge God. We are still a people that struggle to fear God. We are a people who forget and wonder and stray from his knowledge. We are still a people who like to minimize the depth of our sin and if we can profit from it. We knowingly and unknowingly prostitute ourselves out to the world to find what truly satisfies. We forget our God and we pursue pleasure from lesser lovers and lesser hopes. We are adulterous and we lack the ability to see the depths in which we have been corrupted. And we unknowingly collude with the enemy of the world to bring that same corruption into God's creation and design. And like the Israelites, we relate to scripture not because of its relevance for our understanding and greater love and joy in God, but only in its relevance towards confirming what we believe so that we can love ourselves more. Yet the circumstances of this world are not lost on us. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to walk in this world and feel the weight of chaos. We are frustrated by our languishing. We are frustrated by the disunity. We are frustrated by the selfishness and the greed that we find in the world. And what is easy for us to do in all of that is contend the folly of others and to look at the sin of others as the source of the problem in this world. To believe that if people were just more like me and believe what I believe, that ultimately everything would be better. We like to live as, as God, who, who quotes and who says to his people in Second Chronicles, uh, he looks at his people and he says, if my people who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We say to ourselves, what the world needs is more repentance. What it needs is more fear of God, more prayer and humility. We want the world to acknowledge God more. But we do it in a way to forget our own personal waywardness and responsibility. We sit on the throne and judge the world to be lacking. We become the victim God, where we point out all the ways that everyone isn't doing for us what they should. And so if there is a message in Hosea 4 for us, it's this. Where is our fear of the Lord? Do we know him? Do we love him? Not know about him as some person that we follow on Instagram, but do we, do we know him? Does my reverence for him put myself as his creature 
in its right place? Does my fear of him elevate him into his rightful authority and throne? God's accusation against his people in Israel isn't that they've forgotten completely about God. They have some knowledge, which is just enough to make them think they know it all. And I think that's the caution for all of us. We have to remember knowing God isn't a competition. Acknowledging God isn't a a means of feeling superior to one another, but knowing God, fearing God, loving God to greater degrees is first and primarily for our good. Because it rescues me from my control. It rescues me from my identity issues. It rescues me from my anger and my worry and my fear of others. Because the more I learn about God, the more I know about God, the more I love God, the more, and the more I worship him, the less I worship myself and the less I try to concern myself with temporal things and focus on my earthly problems. And the more I rest in God's grace and mercy and holiness and love and might, the more satisfying we find our life. We fear him not because of our concern for his judgment, because we are in awe of his character. Hosea reveals to us the tragic folly of a world that lives outside of fearing the Lord, that no longer acknowledges him. And the picture it paints is not a pretty one. And may that picture reveal to us and move us towards greater acknowledgement of God in our lives, greater fear of him to put him in this right position and to put us in our right position for our joy. It is for our joy and for his glory. Today, we remember that what God wants to do through us into the world, he must do first in us Therefore, if we want to see the world change, if we want to see flourishing in our communities and health in our community, it first will start in us. It first will come through our greater dependency, delight, and joy in him. Let me pray. Lord, this is a hard message. It's a hard message because it's true. It's true of my heart, Lord. You're constantly, Lord, trying to figure out all the ways that we can have all the things that we want but somehow please you and keep you. And so, Lord, I just pray for us today, Lord, that you would help us to learn how to delight in you, that, Lord, you would increase us to greater knowledge of you, greater fear of you that puts you in your right spot, Lord, and puts me in my rightful position because it's in that that I flourish, Lord. Only in worshiping you, Lord, do I flourish. So, Lord, we thank you for your truth today and we thank you for how accurately it speaks to our hearts. And we pray this through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.